0: Hello and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 124. I am your new host, Nicholas Minix. It's not quite so new anymore, but uh, joining me today is partner in crime, Eno Sers. And, uh, want to wish everybody, uh, thank you very much for sticking with us. You know, um, glad to have you aboard once again, of course, and perhaps to give you an opportunity here to respond to Jason's, uh, uh, equation of, uh, basically suggesting that your Randy Choate delivery, uh, is, is far outweighed by your awesomeness and your, and your podcast here. Uh, just wanted to give you a chance to respond to uh, being called such a loogie as opposed to, you know, I mean, uh you know, the primary guy in the bullpen or something like that. What? What? What is this just coming out of left field? <laughs> it was just, I it was just something Jason responded to a comment in, 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 or responded in a comment on, on a recent one. Uh, and he said his, uh, delivery like Randy Choate or something, to, something of that nature. Uh, I just thought you might find that a little me. insulting and want and perhaps want to think of a reliever that you more identify with.
1: Well, I, listen, I'm y'all's bosses. Come on, you're boss. Come on. I can't be the reliever. I'm at least R.A. Dickey. Yeah, so yeah. If I have to have a, a weird delivery or a weird pitch or whatever, I mean, come on here. Although, you know, I'm working on it. And so far, at least, I haven't said yeah or um. So,
0: today. <laughs> that, that's definitely true. And... Um, it's not like your delivery is, is worse than mine when I sit here and, and hoe and hum and drone on forever about something that doesn't need to be talked about anymore. So speaking of that, we'll it's get into... It's
1: wonder anybody listens to us.
0: <laughs> yes, we we must, or at least you must have a lot of cool things to say about baseball players. Otherwise, uh, we might not get such a such a great following. And we'll start with, uh, just, just came out, uh, the Rays have confirmed, in fact, that uh, Will Myers does have a... A stress, small stress fracture in his right wrist, and they're projecting him to miss at least two months. Uh, obviously, that's incredibly disappointing. We were hoping for a much shorter, ter- uh, much shorter time period. What is this? What do you think this does for his outlook as far? Well, just as far as a uh, uh, number of things, and, and maybe the Rays outfield.
1: Well, it, it just torches my AL labor squad. I mean, this and Josh Reddick going on the DL just now too. Uh, means that I'm now starting J.D. Martinez and Chris Parmelee <laughs> alongside Cole Calhoun, Robbie Grossman, and David Murphy. So that's that's an all-star outfield right there. Uh, well, I, I'm doing better this year, but uh, Will Myers was not doing better this year. And, and you know, part of the missing thing was power. And you have to wonder how, how long he was thinking about this wrist or how long he, it was bothering him. And also... You know, other than that, like, we still don't really know his his true talent power in the big leagues, I don't think. And he's still pre peak for power. So if I was in a keeper league and I was out of it this year or a dynasty league, I'd still be interested in acquiring him. His strikeout problems aren't as bad as some of the other big sluggers with big strikeout swings. And I still believe in his, especially in on base percentage leagues, I still believe in his patience and I still believe in his power, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm I, I'm right along the, uh, the the those lines with you. I think that's. I mean, he's. Um, we certainly haven't seen uh, entirely what he's capable of, and I think he's a little closer to the player he was last year than than he has been this year. Uh, this just this just kind of sucks. I'm glad I'm not an owner of his this year. Um, other than that, I mean, I think it's 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 uh, a lot more disappointing. Whereas uh, folks who have been stashing Jonathan Singleton, well, I should call him John Singleton now, film producer and director and things like that. Um, he's been promoted. Uh, As of yesterday, the Astros gave him uh, a contract, locked him up. I believe they bought out his first-year free agency as well. Uh, So he's up now, and now what are the expectations, and um, what is the performance going to be like in comparison to expectations?
1: I kind of feel like Chris Chris Carter is the warning sign. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, Chris Carter's a righty and John Singleton's a lefty. So that's, he can't ever, and I'm going to say bad here, but Chris Carter has some things to go in for him, I understand. But he can't ever be as bad as Chris Carter because Chris Carter is a righty, and so therefore he's always going to be better against lefties. Whereas Singleton will at least be better against two-thirds of the population. There is some concern that he won't even play against lefties. The, the, the Astros are a team that do like to platoon. He's had some problems with lefties in the past. But the reason I bring up Chris Carter is because he's a big patience and strikeout guy, and John Singleton um, is the same way. Uh, so I think that there's the, the, the sing, swing and miss in in John Singleton's game is going to is going to approach Chris Carter, uh, and if you look at their minor league uh, stats coming up into the big leagues, you, you know Chris Carter on some stops actually had better strikeout rates than John Singleton in the minor league so it's completely possible that singleton comes out and strikes out more than 30 percent of the time uh, he's done that before in the minors and the, and the majors uh newsflash is harder <laughs> uh, so uh, you know the projections have him at 25 percent and even at 25 percent i think he's, it's gonna be hard for him to be a mixed leaguer because that sort of batting average is usually associated with a Uh, 230, 240 batting, that sort of strikeout rate is usually associated with a 230, 240 uh, batting average. And, you know, if he's playing two-thirds of the time, hitting 240, he's going to have to have a lot of power right away in order to to really be a mixed leaguer, I think.
0: Yeah, um, that's my primary concern is that he's not... I've, I've seen some prognosticators in the lake, you know, jump on this guy now, et cetera, et cetera. And I think... I mean, to encourage mixed leaders to think that this guy is an automatic commodity. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I think he's uh, in a class just maybe just above a Chris Carter. And that's in, in that sense, like you said. And it helps that Carter, I think, uh, is eligible at outfield in most leagues. Um, and so, in that case, I mean, I, I kind of almost, well, I'd be just as happy to have Carter uh, because I'm likely to, likelier to need the depth there. So, um I mean I, I think that there's a potential he disappoints a bit uh, if, if folks are expecting anything like difference making because I mean he's not quite a difference maker he could certainly play that way for a stretch but uh I mean I don't think I don't think he's in Springer's class and even though he's i mean he's younger um i I liked Springer much more as a prospect and i think I mean I don't think anybody didn't but I just i guess I, I'm worried a little that uh, there's been this small urgency to say when are they bringing up singleton when are they going to bring him up blah, blah, blah? and it's like uh, you know I don't See him making that big of an impact, and therefore I don't know why it's there's a reason to be that excited about it. Uh, in an AO only league, I'd be terribly excited that he's finally up, but uh, beyond that, I-
1: well, that's I mean that's like the the, the warm body excitement. In, in, a, in a In a regular league, you know, it's it's worth remembering that um, you know Springer had a, a five tool skill set, and that always that always brought. His, his bust rate up that, that brought his sort of um, floor up because it, even if he hit 220, he would at least be hitting for power and uh, stealing bases or else he wouldn't be in the major leagues. But I also uh, I also just want to remember, remind people of um, the, uh, the bust rates on prospects. I mean, uh, Springer was like a top 30 prospect. Uh, Gregory Polanco is a top 10 prospect. Um, and I'm I'm just now trying to call up Singleton. I don't he's view, top 100.
0: View, he was a, huh? he was in the top 100. I want to say like I've seen a couple of spots where he's been like 70s and 80s. So
1: yeah, so that means that means uh, his bust rate for a position player in that in that range is about 70 percent. Um, you know, and bust is defined by this. It was this great piece on Royals Review. Uh, Bust is defined as averaging less than a, a 1.5 WAR, um, so averaging less than 1.5 wins in the first five years. And I, I would consider—I think that it's pretty hard, even if for a guy who plays first base and may not have great defense and and won't help on the base pass. I think it's hard uh, to to find a fantasy player that puts up less than a win in real life. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I think that even though this is bust as defined by sort of real life, you know, the patience, defense, those things count, uh, I think that it's it's still pretty hard, unless maybe Emilio Bonifacio or somebody like that could put up one win and still be useful in, in fantasy baseball. But, you know, Singleton's not that kind. So he, I think you can say, you know, fairly strongly that he has about a 70% bust rate. Maybe it's a little bit better because he had such great walk rates, um, I've seen some work from Chris St. John about the uh, about the bus rates for for people with great walk rates, and great, great strikeout rates. But as much as his great walk rate helps him, I think his great strikeout rate hurts him. So I think he's right around, you know, 60 to 70 percent bus rate and that's more than 50 percent. So now you're talking about, you know, in a redraft league, not only does he have to hit you know, to not be a bus, he has to hit right away for you. And that's why you know I'm not dropping I don't even know that I would drop a guy like Chris Davis because I know Chris Davis has his problems, and I know chris Davis doesn't walk like John Singleton and doesn't have the same upside, but Chris Davis is hitting now he's now got about a about a season's worth of of power record that we can fall back on and we know at the very least I, I think my preseason predictions of about two fifty and twenty five homers look like a total possibility for chris Davis we're not that far out of reach for singleton to, to to do something like that um would count as a as a as a as a great thing for him and i think most of his outcomes are below that
0: yeah i, I definitely agree um and i think and just to clarify he means they've milwaukee brewers as chris davis <laughs> not that not that anybody probably uh, got that incorrect but i just <laughs> want to be clear uh yeah and i think that that's yeah, i i certainly wouldn't drop davis for him um uh, and so i mean i think yeah it, it, it ultimately it's just you know don't don't let uh, your expectations get too high on him. Um, speaking of, well, this is not really speaking of, but there's a you know, situation. Uh, the, the White Sox demoted Marcus Simeon to AAA Charlotte, something to just briefly mention. That's obviously slightly disappointing, but as he wasn't really hitting lately and uh, has, you know, has struggled in the average department, That's not to be a surprise. And Now that Gordon Beckham is back, uh, is, this, is, is Simeon a guy that you're hanging on to, maybe in a deep L only league?
1: I, I think about hanging on to him because... He, I, what what I've heard from the guys that cover the the White Sox, the the idea is that one of the middle infielders plays himself into trade value, and uh, is leaving town, and, and Marcus Simeon comes up uh, to replace him. And uh, I think he Simeon showed enough to think that. I mean, I don't really believe in Gordon Beckham's numbers right now, so I think that. Marcus Simeon could be Gordon Beckham and maybe even a little bit better because of uh, some base running ability and maybe some defense. So I actually think that I prefer Marcus Simeon or Gordon Beckham from a real life standpoint. I think that if they can get any trade value from Beckham, they're going to do it. Uh, You know, he's approaching free agency. Simeon's around longer. Simeon has more upside, I think. So I, I, I do think that Simeon will be relevant again this year. Um, whether through
0: injury or trade. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think that that's one way or another. I think that they'll eventually bring him back and he'll be a factor there. So somebody, somebody I would hang on to at least in, in, least in those deep leagues. Um, Nick Franklin, uh, also situation, he he is really disappointed in his short opportunity and uh, Mariners need to make a move uh, to bring up a starting pitcher just for today and uh, chose the option, Nick Franklin. Um, so... Uh, it's it's I, I was pretty optimistic going into this season that this could be kind of a rebound year for him and a chance to play his way into some trade value or, or something of that nature show his uh, show his team that he, he's worth a spot somewhere else on the roster so far it hasn't happened um, are you starting to lose any faith in him
1: yeah yeah I you know the the thing with the thing with Franklin and, and Simon both. It's really interesting. They So Franklin at least had this that one year. Uh, w- when Franklin hit AA for the first time and when he hit um, AAA for the first time, both times he, he struck out too much for a guy with his sort of power and skill set. Uh, right around 20%. And AAA was 23%. So there was, there, was, there was sort of an idea that there was a little bit of swing and miss in his game. But every time he got a second shot at AAA, he cut that or, or and, and AA, he cut that strikeout rate. So there was a thought that maybe he could improve it. But you know, then he gets to the major leagues and he strikes out a ton. What's really interesting about Semyon is that Semyon actually had better strikeout rates than Franklin in double and AAA, and came up and had the same problem. And it's it's just I think it's a testament to how different the minor leagues and the major leagues are. And it's not that you can't take minor league stats and use them for, to project, but there is, there is, I think, right around strikeout rate. There is a hard; it's hard to know exactly how much a guy's going to strike out in the major leagues. I, I would love to know minor league swinging strike rates. Um, I know I'd love to know a couple more peripherals for minor leaguers because I think maybe that would help us understand some of this a little bit better. But, um, you know. In I in both cases, they both have a lot of swing and strike rate. They both have too many strikeouts, and I just have a little bit more confidence. Confidence that Simeon has shown his team that he can be valuable, that they believe in him, and you know, honestly, I mean, his strikeout their strikeout rates are very similar, but I just there's something about Simeon that makes me think that he uh, has a little bit more upside right now.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that. No just want to ask your take on this real quick, and maybe you've talked to somebody about this at some point, uh, whether it's a related case, but do you think it's possible? Because, for instance, it was obvious, I mean, well, it wasn't entirely obvious, but that uh, Miller, Brad Miller was going to come in as a starting shortstop, and um, Franklin was going to begin the season in the minors, and he'd been caught up briefly earlier in the season, he was caught up at this time. Do you think there's a possibility... Um, that any of the strikeouts mean that he's simply it's like, oh, I have to make good on this opportunity now or I'm not I might not get another one later and things like that. Is it is this a possibility of he's pressing too much or is it just a reflection more so of his uh, just lack of play discipline? that doesn't quite translate to the majors.
1: There's I think there's some there's some evidence in in Brad Miller's line that he was that he was pressing. I mean, he's reaching more and. um you know, just just doing. Do, I mean, reaching more is, I think, sort of what I would call kind of the pressing stat. It's like, why are you reaching more suddenly? Are they did the scouting report change on you, or did the, you know, what what's going on there? So I, I do see that in in Brad Miller's line actually, and um, with Nick Franklin, it's just harder because we don't really have a baseline. We don't. We can't say, okay, this was Nick Franklin when he thought he had a job. I mean, I guess he he had you know 412 plate appearances last year, but you know it's hard to hard to say that he that's like him without pressing cuz that was also his rookie season so he could have been pressing last year but he's reaching he's reaching a slight a slight bit more and he definitely is swinging more so i mean there's some something to be said for that i mean and and, and i think that's in in both cases the one thing i just noticed looking at Brad Miller's line and i know that people are asking me about him again he seems to have maybe weathered the storm mm-hmm you know, one thing that was really terrible about him early in the season was that he was reaching, like, you know, crazy bad. And, you know, and it was all out of line with what he was doing early in the season. And there were a couple sort of highlight reel gaffes in in the field. So everyone could say, oh, Bradbury, he's, he's losing them games in the field and he's reaching and he's got no idea at the play, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he... Is starting most days now. They had they had a couple of Willie Bloomquist days and a Nick Franklin day, but you know now, now Nick Franklin's in the minors, and I see Brad Miller started. I think what looks like five or six five straight games. Um, so you know he got a homer. I'm, I'm not talking about results, but he started five straight games, and the reach rate is now like basically within a stone's throw of last year's reach rate. So I think. You know, I think kind of weather the storm. I think we we do have to consider the fact that his strikeout rate might be worse than it was last year. That his true talent strikeout rate might be above 20%. But if he can get that power back up to, you know, 150 ISO, 180 ISO, if he can get that Babbitt, up, Babbitt back up to a regular uh, player's Babbitt, now we've, we've got a guy that can hit 250 with power and speed again. And that's the reason why we were excited about Brad Miller. So... I eh, I'm not saying he's a mixed league pickup, but uh, because even a 250 hitter, you know, with, you know, 10 and five or something is, is not, is probably not a mixed leaguer. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty deep, but I do think he's worth targeting if, if he's, if he's kind of settled down.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that I think putting it, you put it just right is a, he's weathered the storm. It appears it's, it's cautious optimism. is kind of the way to look at it. I think, and that's, um, that's exactly what I have. I mean, I've considered targeting him in a in a in um, my FSWA league as a guy. I mean, I I drafted him and and held on to him for a while and just recently dropped him. But as a guy that I'm thinking about going back after because it's also an OBP league and um, uh, given that he does walk a decent amount, I mean, I think that there's opportunity for him to post a respectable OBP at least at the shortstop position. So uh, yeah, that's a tough position. <laughs> And uh, I just wanted to ask real quickly if you had any input. I and mean, we we talked a little on Sunday about where we thought Kendrick Morales might land. And really, I think you know there's there are a number of teams that just have a lot of questions to ask and answer. That it's hard. I think it's hard to say uh, with any pinpoint accuracy where he's definitely going to land. Other than it seems like you know there are a couple of teams that seem obvious. But uh, you know the Yankees throwing their hat in the ring. Jason made an excellent point that it basically seems like. You know, it's a Scott Boras opportunity to up the money and the interest. You know, up up the uh, the rival interest or, or the need to to fork over more money to bring him aboard. But uh, is it any any thoughts that you have on his outlook and uh, and where he lands?
1: Given the the fact that there were a bunch of National League teams that needed first baseman in the offseason and the fact that they didn't. Sign Kendrys Morales. I mean, I'm I'm thinking a lot about the Pirates, and you know, I, I, the fact that the Pirates never never signed Kendrys Morales, never wanted to give up that pick, and ended up giving up a real life player for Ike Davis instead, I think suggests to me that most teams look at Kendrys Morales as a DH, and maybe a sometime first baseman, but a DH. And so I I look through the contenders that could help have some help at DH, and um and are in the AL. And, you know, I think that the Yankees are number one on that list. I mean, you know, I'm scrolling through here. Soriano's a decent against one hand, but he he can also play in the outfield. Kelly Johnson's not really living up to expectations. Brian McCann should probably take some days off. You know, he can catch and then DH some, but he should take some days off. And Beltran is, is injured right now. I, I think there's enough there that the Yankees are a pretty good uh, situation. Yeah, I think the Rays would have been a good situation if they were, you know, more in it. Um, the Indians seem to love Jason Giambi. <laughs> I, it's kind of crazy. You know, actually, I, I, let me put the Indians on the list because they're doing a little bit better than people expected. They're kind of they're, – they're humming along. And I know Lonnie Chisenhall is DHing some, but you know I think they could use another bat. They could always use another bat. They never have enough bats, and so I think they're they're an interesting situation. Um, but uh, and then the Rangers I think have to count because you can you can you can mix and match with uh, Moreland pretty easily, make choice of fourth outfielder again, and that'll help the team. So, and the Rangers have been doing a little better recently, so. I think uh I think I would label them uh actually might go Rangers, Yankees and uh Indians. Not Orders.
0: Okay. I uh, I totally agree I mean, I think the Rangers as long as they aren't feeling as if they've been completely cursed and uh, voodoo doubt and whatever else puts them in a position not to win no matter how hard they try. Uh I think if, I think the Rangers have to be at the top of the list, I think Baltimore is a possibility. But uh, I mean, I think I, I've I've seen Seattle being mentioned as uh, as a possibility, and actually, I saw the Royals mentioned as a possibility. Although I think that would be a that'd be an interesting situation to put yourself in, considering that you would probably want to move Billy Butler if you did that, and it's kind of hard to move Billy Butler probably right now. So, I think uh, I, I, to me, the Mariners are, stick out as a team. And I mean, uh, with the possibility that Corey Hart comes back, and they're like. Nobody in the outfield in Seattle has really lived up to expectations, and I don't think they really expect so. They if if they're confident enough that they can move Corey Hart into the outfield regularly, and uh, put something together between Michael Saunders and he and uh, you know uh, whatever. But, I mean, right now they have Indy Chavez as DH, and they're missing a couple yes. guys. Granted, but I mean that kind of says. I mean, this is a guy they also were you know kind of. Interested in bringing back at some point for a while, and I think it's I think it's a good possibility that he ends up back there as long as they continue to play decent ball. But it's just that's going to be an interesting division to see how that plays out for sure. Uh, well, uh, you have any interest in uh, commenting on Jesse Hahn being caught up for a? He it looks like it's just going to be a spot start. It seems like it was I don't want to say it was a rash move. I mean, I understand wanting to give this guy a debut and some exposure. It seems like he's not quite ready uh, to be. major league commodity yet but uh um, opportunity i guess to talk about him he was an off-season acquisition by the padres and is certainly somebody with uh, with some talent to be a a possible future fantasy leaguer
1: i mean he's a he's he's a current fantasy leaguer in my fantasy league i've got uh the one i talk about that's my deepest league with all the writers um that's a uh i think it's 40 man rosters 20 teams um, and, uh, you know, you can own anybody. So I, I drafted Jesse Hahn and just to brag real quick, right. I drafted Jesse Hahn. I drafted, uh, Garrett Richards. I drafted, uh, Jesse Chavez. I drafted, and this is the, this is draft after 28 keepers. So, um, and, uh, one more, eh, who cares? I'm done with the bragging, but anyway, uh, Han, Han, um, uh, I actually think, has a, a good deal of success, uh, success in his future. And I do think that the, the reason why it's a spot start and nothing real, uh, nothing bigger than that, is that he's averaged just over three innings per start so far this year. And it's been a bit of a struggle with innings with him. And he doesn't really have the innings to be, to be uh, a force this year in the major leagues. He had 69 innings full stop last year, over 20 starts. So, you know, I think they're probably doing some sort of piggyback with him. And this year, 10 starts, 32 innings. So he's inching along. I think they'll probably want him to get close to 100 innings this year, which sets him up for, you know, 120, 130 innings next year. This is a long-term investment. But I think it would be great to get some pitch FX numbers on him. Um, to, to get some nice, you know, HD video on him, take a, take a look at him. And uh, maybe he, I mean, it is interesting that they picked him over Matt Whistler, um, who, who lay in supposedly closer. But Whistler's having a bit of a homer issue right now in, a, in the PCL. that's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, you know, I don't know, maybe if it was a, a bigger problem, a longer problem, Whistler would be up to, to take to take a role. And since it's just a spot start, they they pick up Han just to, to give him a taste.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's totally understandable. Um, and, and we've uh, touching on some bullpen issues. Cody Allen picked up his third save in four days. Um, kind of seems like he's uh, at least putting a stranglehold. Uh, one a possible uh role here I mean he hasn't uh i have yet to see anything that says that he's been named closer, but at this point uh he seems to be staking his claim uh peeing around the mound and things like that uh <laughs> what <laughs> Any thoughts you'd like to add on his, uh, his outlook? I mean, obviously this is a guy We and you talked about the, the financial implications of putting him in this role. So do you think that uh, that's, uh, that's the kind of thing that still factors in uh, or do they just let it, let it run because this is a team that still considers itself contender?
1: You have to consider the optics of, of this sort of stuff too. I mean, baseball fans in particular I think are so rabid and so up-to-date and so vocal – Online, especially that you know, if, if you take Cody Allen out of this role right now, I think that it would just look terrible, yeah. Especially if you're gonna put Axford in, I think that <laughs> people, I think people would well, not necessarily riot because there's not a, a lot of fans in Cleveland, but they would, um, they they would, I think people would write articles about it, you know, and, and it would become a thing again, and then maybe people would start asking Manny Acta or you know, the front office if they're just trying to save money with John Axford. So I think at this point, Allen was the guy that all the the only metrics that I've said, I've said this over and over again, the only metrics I have for closers are velocity and strikeout rate. And it, it, and when that role went up in the air, the guy who had the most velocity and the guy who had the most strikeouts was Cody Allen. So he was the the obvious pick from the day one. And we kind of danced around a little bit and the team tried Brian Shaw a little bit. But Brian Shaw is not a perfect fit. He reminds me, I've said a little bit of Joe Smith, and so uh, I prefer the guy Cody Allen, who's got the big time fastball, the big time curveball, you know, or whatever that is, power curve, and uh, and I I'm I'm buying it. I, I think they find the right choice.
0: Yeah, it's, I I can't blame you one bit. I think that that's the way, and uh, it kind of uh, is a good segue into, although not quite the same type of pitcher yet. Uh, is Dylan Batantis. I mean, we know that he's got the fastball velocity uh, and uh, a, a pretty solid breaking ball. Obviously, it's been uh, it's he's something he's used nearly half the time. Uh, now Joe Girardi's saying that it's a guy he wouldn't shy away from uh, if Dave Robinson needs a break. Uh, probably, in, perhaps interesting timing, given that uh, D Rob uh, blew a save. This past weekend. And, and it, it turned out, I mean, he would have been removed from the game and then had a few uh, few runs charged to him uh, that he didn't give up. So uh, uh, it's not entirely his fault there. But uh, is this, uh, Tances, is this is somebody that we briefly talked about on Sunday that, uh, in the sense, I mean, he's mostly been used in low leverage situations. And now this is a guy that Girardi is suddenly, I mean, he's not going to shy away from him. In my opinion, Batantis is kind of a heady player. Uh, it's, or, uh, well, is. A potential head case. I mean, he's had a lot of, a lot of adversity and things like that, and uh, you know, just finally having some success. I guess there's always a possibility that it works out in that role. But do you think there's? Is this, it, it's it's great skills. I mean, I think it's probably a guy worth picking up if he's not if he's unowned in AL only leagues. Uh, but is this a guy that you think ever plays in? in uh, uh, you know, plays into the save situation in the long term.
1: I do actually, and. You know it's crazy what the what Zips is projecting from rest of season. And I, I guess I understand why Zips has a, a six point eight walks per nine projected from rest of season. And I guess when you look back to you know the twenty twelve in AAA, he had a eight eight walks per nine. But you know that was like you said he was having some issues, and then also was, he was a different pitcher than then. He's trying to be a starter still. And I think that he just really can't command a lot of his pitches. When I look at the ball rates right now on his curve and seam, they're right around 36%, 37%. That's fine. That's not, that doesn't jump out of the page. I've seen way worse from, from guys that you know have real command issues. So I think there's a possibility. This is a knuckle curve thing he's throwing. I think there's a possibility he's got decent command of that because when you talk to pitchers, they throw the knuckle curve or the knuckle slider, they throw it just like a fastball. So, you know, maybe when he was throwing the change and throwing other pitches, he you know, he got out of whack with his mechanics. But if you're, if you're just throwing two things that you throw exactly the same way with a different grip, um, I think there's a, it's a possibility that the mechanics actually have cleaned up and that he's actually made a, a, a real change in terms of um, uh, his walk rate. And then you look at other peripherals that are important to walk rate, like first strike percentage. They're both better than league average. So, you know, he's, he's concentrating on uh, throwing the ball, or he can strike one. His zone percentage is right around league average. So there's no, no, there's no command peripheral, which there are very few of. But the, the two peripherals that I just listed, the, neither one of those is an issue. And then the other thing is you can turn balls into strikes by getting whiffs. And he's getting tons of whiffs. So when I look across his line, I see a guy getting tons of grounders, tons of whiffs, strikeouts like Kenley Jansen, you know, decent command, and I, you know, nobody knows him. You know, and this is this is you know this is fresh new face. This is this is this is really exciting. It's really fun to watch him. And felt uh, over the last couple of weeks that Joe Girardi's been really was uh, really enjoying actually using him. And even if it's not high leverage in terms of. Being the eighth or ninth inning, I did, I have noticed that he comes on in sort of high leverage mid inning stuff. I mean, he comes on with people on in tie games. He comes on in close games. So I think uh, there's an outside possibility that Dylan next year because Dave Robertson is not signed to next year. And if that is if there is an outside chance of that, I think there's an out. That means that there's an outside chance that he gets some saves this year because you know, it behooves them to, to, to put him in that situation and see what happens. So I don't think he'll get, you know, Steamer has him for three saves the rest of the season and a 330 ERA, 128 whip, uh, four six walks per nine. I will take the over on that. I mean, I think I think he could have a, a, a sub-three ERA and, and, and walk, you know, league average, guys at the league average rate. So, uh, but three saves sounds about right, three to five saves at most. I don't think he's going to take take job, the job from uh, Robertson at least while they're um, in it in it for this year.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think you've definitely convinced me even more. This is a guy I'm interested in long term, and that's uh, interesting you should point out because I had something i have forgotten about, but that's true that uh, some of the some of the early inning situations that he's come in have been very high uh, very high leverage. And I mean, there's been a number of base runners on multiple occasions uh frequently uh, I want to say this has been in relief of say Hiroki Kuroda, David Phelps, Vidal Nuno types, um, uh, because those guys have been have not been able to get deep into games. And um I, I mean pretty much ever since they've turned him into a reliever, I mean it, it's it's kinda of become clear that he's not starter material, I think, at this point. And I think it's it's I think the sooner you get a guy uh as sooner figure the sooner you figure that out with a guy and get him into uh the role that you think he can be most successful in. Uh, the better, and I think that that's something that they're finding out. That's, I mean, he is he's an intriguing arm down the road, to say the least.
1: Yeah, and one thing I just noticed, um, I didn't realize how bad the Yankees are. I mean, uh, they're right at five hundred, but their run differential is the same as you know the Rangers and Royals and Padres. I mean, they're 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 kind of an outlier in terms of. Uh, where they stand in terms of uh, record and and run differential. I mean, sitting right around them, the Red Sox have a minus 7, the Yankees have a minus 23, the Mariners have a plus 21. Um, They look more like the Indians than anything. So um, if there's a chance at all that the Indians, and, and the Indians are actually in an easier division, well, no, they're not. That's an interesting situation, actually, the blue Jays have a have a better record than the Tigers. I can't believe that. <laughs> in any case, I, I think there is there will be a time when the Yankees are looking towards next year. And as hard as that is for a Yankees fan to hear, that might be the truth. So uh, maybe Batanzas gets you know five or six or seven saves in September when he's the the full-time closer.
0: It could be. could be. I um, just want to touch on this quickly. The Marlins picked up Kevin Gregg um, to, I guess, bolster their bullpen. Uh, does this matter? I mean, is, if this team – if it turns out to be a team that uh, falls uh, out of playoff contention, I don't think anybody really expected it to contend uh, this year. Uh, and Steve Ciszek C- 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 has been mentioned as possible trade bait. Is, is Kevin Gregg going to matter to anyone in saying an NL the league? I mean, if they –
1: they do that sort of cost-cutting thing, which you know. Actually, I haven't seen the Marlins do a lot of playing time machination stuff. They don't. They don't sign all their young guys to long-term deals. They don't. Um, they don't actually. It seems keep their guys down in order to suppress playing time. It seems like they bring them up. You think about Jose Fernandez, Marcelo Zuna, Christian Yelich. All these guys had didn't have that much time in Double and Triple A. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> I don't think that they will use Kevin Gregg to keep somebody else cheap, and so the uh, the the main the main guy that I think you know is, has been the closer of the future for a while there is actually <clears throat> AJ Ramos. But mm-hmm. I just looked at his stats, and it's kind of crazy. He has a, a, a walk rate over seven right now, but um, you know Carter Caps. Is meeting Dr. James Andrews.
0: That's always a good and, sign. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which means he'll be the closer next week. <laughs> and Mike Dunn is a lefty that can't handle righties, and those are your holds leaders right now on the Marlins. Or Ramos Dunn, and, and well, Caps is just he's not done. He's not a holds leader, but he would have been. He would have figured in if um if he was around. So, Archimedes Caminero has the the name of a closer, but. Um, I don't even think he's in the big leagues right now. Mm-mm. So it's AJ Ramos for me. Um, uh, with Kevin Gregg sort of stepping into AJ Ramos's role.
0: Yeah. I like, uh, I like Ramos myself. Um, I think, uh, Marlins made a trade for Brian Morris. I'm not quite sure why for a draft pick. Um, he's an interesting reliever, I think is, but it doesn't, doesn't quite profile as a closer. And I think Ramos is to me, seems like their best long-term bet for the role. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't see much reason to pursue Kevin Gregg. Um <clears throat> well I was uh I was pretty pessimistic myself that uh that Mark Teixeira was gonna uh was not going to need a DL stint, but uh sounds like he's returning to the lineup tonight on Tuesday and um I mean I guess that's a good sign. Um I, I'd still be worried about that situation myself. Um and I th- I think fantasy owner shouldn't necessarily take this as a as a as a positive, um, but it would be interesting to see uh, if he gets through this healthy and maybe can play a few days in a row and not have this pop up again. I guess that that becomes a positive sign.
1: It's kind of amazing that he's been able to play this well if, he's, if his rest, wrist has been bothering. I mean, I mean, he, this is his best ISO since 2011. You know, his best contact rate since uh, 2012. So, I, you know, there's been a lot of good things about this year, and he's still bothered by this all the way. And that's just that's so depressing because it just, it just means it's age and it's, you know, 34. It's not going to get any better. It's, you're just going to have to hope. I think I would still have him around as a bench guy in most leagues. I have him uh, on a couple of leagues where he was just so cheap that I'm happy to have him to slot in there. You know, I've got him in sort of a semi platoon with Chris Davis in in more than one league, actually. So, um, power's hard to find. He's still managing to hit the ball well, even though his wrist hurts. Uh, I think all you can do is just cross your fingers and bank whatever you get out of him.
0: Yeah, I think what's interesting, I mean, if I I do agree, I mean, he's performed well this season. And I think, I mean, I think overall that's a positive sign. I would like to think. I'd like to see the Yankees just get to a point again. I mean, he seems like a guy who is, he needs the downtime a little bit more so. And I think I'd have been happier if they had put him on the deal to begin with. Um, and then in a situation where he just had some time to rest and recover and see, you know, I mean, I think he had a little bit of inflammation, see where this goes um, because it, I mean, it could be just kind of a, you know, residual soreness from surgery and things like that. I mean, those things are not, it's not uncommon, I guess, to see those things pop up. Um, But for the most part, I mean, obviously he's been performing well, so it's not necessarily a problem. But I guess I just – I have this fear that they put him back in there because they say, oh, it feels okay today. And, uh, I mean, it just ends up being a nagging issue for the rest of the season. And I guess that could be – that could be the case off and on for the rest of the season. But uh, uh, I guess I, I like to see, especially when it is an older player like this and it's something that has been a problem for a while, I like to see him just sit out for a while and then come back and, and then I can know I can have him available more so because then this just means if I go into a week and I think, oh, he's going to be in there and then turns out he gets injured later in the week and he's, I mean, weekly lineups, that's a killer. Uh. Yeah, I hate <laughs> weekly
1: lineups. That's what I was listening to. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems to me I, I'm I'm happy that I have weekly lineups because I have 15 leagues. Yes. So with yes. you know like <laughs> weekly lineups for like three or four of them mean that I you know Sundays I spend a little more extra time on my teams and that's and then I'm good. But um, I don't I don't like them. You know if I if I had one league it would not be a weekly lineup league. Uh, that's way too much like fantasy football for me. And I, I I like to to get in there and use daily matchups and to to really think about how I construct my bench and and to to be able to avoid the sort of nicks and cuts of the veterans and so on and so forth. So I don't know. I, I hate it, and I and I hate it just for that reason. And I I just actually while we were talking was able to pull Josh Reddick and and put in Chris Parmalee just because they haven't played yet this week um, in labor, and that's just. That's just weird. That's like a weird sentence for me to say. I mean, what does that mean? <laughs> I should be able to do that at any time, you know? Why do I have to sit here? If Josh Reddy gets hurt at Monday at 3 and Ross is lock at 4 and they put him on the DL at 4.15, that's the lamest. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I don't know what we just did except for a rant about it. But it, it I guess it does mean that there's a little bit more of a uh, – Already for health and and younger players in a weekly lineup, just because they get hurt less often, and um, you know. But then you know, I, my team was the youngest in labor, and uh, you know, I've got uh, Myers and Reddick on my DL right now. <laughs> I don't know. Happen actually pretty healthy otherwise, so I think it is an argument for uh, to think about your team age. And health a little bit when you're when you when you're in a weekly lineup league.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, with that, and we talk, and talking about uh, the health of young players, uh, we can jump into how how still nervous are you about Giordano your, your Ventura now that it seems like he's on track to pitch on Thursday?
1: I see in your notes. He has valgus extension overload.
0: Yes. I wish I. I'm glad that we can all pronounce that, and for the most part, those are really easy to pronounce words. But beyond that, I'm not really sure entirely what that means. Except I think that it's kind of it's kind of like the opposite of the stress that creates a potential tear in the UCL. If I I, I want to say I'm, I'm trying to remember this correctly, and that um, ultimately it just could be a sign that eventually he will have uh, potential damage to the UCL uh, UCL. But this could be you know well down the road. It's not really clear. And I'm not a doctor, and I don't even play one on TV, so I'm not. Uh, it, it's hard for me to get a read on this situation, other than I guess it's encouraging that he's pitching. But uh, I mean, it, it's again, it's a, it's a, it's a young pitcher who throws hard, and and uh, it, it's it's worrisome.
1: It's better than the other side. I mean, like you said, the 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 inside is or the outside is the uh, is what you're worried about with uh, with with breaking balls. And um, the inside is what you're worried about with the changeup. So maybe, in, in effect, uh, the fact that he's trying to throw the changeup more this year because he's you know, a starter in the major leagues and trying to get through lineups uh, more than once or twice, maybe that's what it is. But um, you know, one of the theories behind uh, pitching mechanics and, and, and um, the, the benefit of the changeup is that if you're throwing breakers and fastballs, you're putting stress on the outside of your elbow, so actually throwing a change up and sort of pronating a little bit uses different parts of your arm and 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 therefore builds up your arm in a sort of stable way. You, you kind of work both sides and you don't you don't overwork one side. So I guess in that way, I would say it's a good sign. in In another way, I'd say it's a bad sign completely because everybody's been talking about how his mechanics have a ton of recoil in them. Uh, he uh, he's small. You know it looks like it's unsustainable. He it looks like a reliever he profiles a reliever is it gonna keep the velocity is gonna keep the he's gonna stay healthy so I would just there's no i hate selling low and I wouldn't sell this guy low. he's gonna come back soon. What I would do is put this in the back of your head and when you're you know let's say, let's say he's a healthy rest of the season when you're sort of evaluating your team and 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 you know it's so hard to throw to, to trade pitching for hitting. So you, a lot of times you have to really overpay when you're trading pitching for hitting. Maybe your Don Ventura is that guy that you quote-unquote overpay with in the off season to get a bat. you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that's an excellent recommendation.
1: <laughs> right? He's, he, because people have all these questions about him. He's already had a, you know, he. I don't know if he met it on the DL stint. So, you know, it won't show up as a guy who was on the DL. But I think, you know, we can call this a DL stint in our heads. Mm-hmm. And so... He's got a little bit of a black mark
0: on. Yeah, indeed. Speaking of a guy who has had past black marks, but I mean, this hasn't it's hasn't been a major issue for him. Uh, It sounds like he's been okay. It looks like Andrew Kashner might return this weekend. uh, Might only need one rehab start. Uh, Anything to be concerned about here? This is a guy we've already talked about a little bit.
1: I mean, other than everything, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. (laughs)
1: Right, <laughs> I mean, it's like we love, uh, we love, we love Andrew Kashner. We want him to to pitch, but Andrew Kashner represents the frailty that is the human, the, the pitcher. So I feel like uh, you know we just gotta hope he comes in there. If anybody gives you a good offer for Andrew Kashner once he's dealing again, I would I would take it. I mean, it, it's it. There's too long of a history. And, you know, this is an elbow thing. You know, the original problems that he had were shoulder problems. Uh, he had labrum problems. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you're saying, oh, good, it's an elbow injury, <laughs> uh, that's when you know uh, that your guy, you know, has an
0: injury problem.
1: So, yeah, if someone's going to give me uh, something nice for Andrew Kaschner, I'll, I'll give him Andrew Cashner.
0: Yes, yes. And uh, another pitcher uh, who may be on schedule – to make his debut, he's pitching actually tonight, the same night as Erasmus Ramirez, whom the Mariners have called up to make at least one start uh, in the rotation. But Taiwan Walker uh, looks like it's a possibility that he'll make his 2014 debut this weekend. But if not, I guess it would be soon after, assuming no setbacks in his final rehab starter, too. Uh, what are your expectations or thoughts on him for the rest of the season?
1: I actually rostered Taiwan Walker in in a couple leagues where I had a DL slot available. And I just I think that's something that you have to do whenever you have a DL slot available in any league. Fill it, you know, especially I mean, I'm talking more daily leagues. since some of these weekly leagues have weird DL rules. But if you have an open roster slot and you're about to make a move, just go find the DL guys. Find the one you like the best. Put them on there and then make your move. And the only way I wouldn't do that is if you had one of those moves limits or or uh, transaction fees or whatever. But <clears throat> if you have a free move and you have an open DL slot, it better be filled. And so <clears throat> that's how I feel about Walker. I feel about Walker a little bit better than that. You could actually roster him if you didn't have a DL slot, but you'd have to have a, a really healthy team otherwise, and you have to be dropping. I don't know. Would I? Would you drop Phil Hughes for Taiwan Walker?
0: Uh. uh... I think I'd be tempted to because I mean, if if, if anything, there's going to be an eventual correction to Hughes' numbers a little bit. Hughes' numbers a little bit, and I'm more confident that Walker's going to deliver the strikeouts. So, um, I'd be tempted. I'd be thinking that would be kind of the. Uh, he, I he, I could see him being kind of a fulcrum. That's. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, like I, I would definitely drop. Um, I think I would definitely drop somebody. Like Ryan McCarthy. Um. You know, Justin Masterson has had a great game, but uh, I just don't think that his platoon splits are gone. The velocity is a problem. So, you know, those guys, I think, you know, they also just don't have the strikeout rate upside. Uh, Well, I mean, I think Masterson does in a way, but um, I don't think they have the overall upside of Walker. So, you know, if I I was dealing in those sort of veterans, um, I might move on. But if I, you know, Phil Hughes, there's a bit of a line there. Um, Anybody better than Philly Hughes I'd have a hard time dropping for 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 Walker. I mean, there's a shoulder problem. Yeah. You know, you don't know how many innings you're going to get. Uh, you don't know what the command is going to look like either. There's some command questions. So, uh, but he's a very interesting arm, and I, from what I've when I've seen him pitch, it's been amazing. So I, I think he's definitely worth picking up.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, I would just like to say that I refuse to drop Brandon McCarthy. I don't care what you say. <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, pitchers on the mend and coming back from shoulder problems, um, I, I think everyone is uh, has high expectations for Johan Santana, and by that I mean probably not, but... Um, perhaps are they missing the boat here? This is an interesting, interesting situation. I know he was coming up on, um, some kind of roster deadline or uh, where the, uh, he could request his release or something of that nature. Anyway, I don't know if this, I assume that this has resolved it. Uh, they promoted him and then placed him on the 15 day, 15 day DL. So at this point, uh, if they're going to act, I mean, they're going to have a limited window in which to activate him, uh, down the road. So, I mean, the results have steadily gotten better, uh, on his, uh, quote unquote, his, well, his rehab assignments, uh, or in the minors. Uh, is this a guy you see playing?
1: I mean, I heard that they actually have him. They have the rehab mapped out. It's two starts, and then he's he's up here to pitch on June 18th. So that is uh, crazy because there. I was going to say that that um, nobody's come back from two anterior capsule surgeries, but I'm right now. I'm I'm studying really quickly. Because someone told me that Chris Young has had two, has had it twice, and he's definitely had it once. He's pitching right now after having had capsule uh, surgery, but he definitely didn't have two in a row like Santana. So even if Young had had two, uh, had had two surgeries on his capsule. Um, you know, the, 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 way that Santana had a surgery, then came back and pitched for like a couple of days and then, you know, tore it and had to go back and have it again. I just think that that, uh, I would pay, I would, the, 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 the guy I'd have to drop in would have to be, you know, worse than Jesse Han. I, mean, I, <laughs> I just, I, I have no faith in him and I, I I, love him. I He brought a, a, a no hitter to the Mets. I mean, I love him. <laughs> I love his changeup. I love his history. I love the Rule Five thing. I love Johan Santana. But I just I'm skeptical that he's gonna he's gonna come he's gonna come back throwing around a 8, seven eighty eight. It's gonna work in the American League as a starter. So i i uh, i don't I don't necessarily believe. But um, you know, to him.
0: Yeah, I think what. I would have been, I would have been optimistic, or I wouldn't say optimistic. I hate to even say that because that's not really fair to say. <laughs> but I would have been mildly intrigued had this been, uh, I mean, if you had ended up with an NL team or something like that, but uh, or at least you know not in, in an AL East, and not purely because the teams are necessarily uber more dangerous than the rest of the AL, uh, the AL. But um, I mean, it's a pitcher who's long had. Fly, fly ball issues in the sense that it, it hitters started making him pay um, by taking him deep. I mean, this is a guy's in the latter part of his career, and because he's lost some stuff, has really given up home runs. And then he moves to Baltimore, and uh, he's gonna—you know—he's probably gonna make a start in Yankee Stadium and Toronto and things like that. It just he's i mean I, I i'm going to assume that change up is going to remain a pretty heavy duty weapon weapon for him and he might get some strikeouts kind of overachieving the strikeout department but it's just probably going to be a guy who gets hammered more often than not it's like uh i don't even calmers yeah and I, I that's that's the part that scares me is I, I wish it was just in a better environment so that i could be you know uh throw a flyer at him in in, in an NL only, nl only league and see what happened but uh this just has too much of a mix for me to even want to consider this, unfortunately.
1: Well, now that we've been total demi-downers, it's time <laughs> to say goodbye. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so, we thank you all for joining us for episode number 124 of The Sleeper and the Bus. Thank you as always to Eno and uh, for h- him sharing his wisdom with uh, all of you and uh, and myself included. Uh, I always learn a lot a little bit every time I step on the mic. Uh, and uh, So, you know? you know, would you like to bid, you bid, your, bid your, bid your loyal true. followers an do?
1: No, it's uh, we we'll, uh, I've got a great piece hopefully coming up tomorrow about uh, the difference between two seamers and change ups. Uh, how they have very similar movement and, um, and yet they have very different outcomes. So I'm uh, gonna get hard to work on that and um, hope you'll see that soon. And thanks you guys, thanks for listening.
0: Yes, thank yes. you as always, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.